Welcome, you guys, to the Heidi St. John podcast. I hope you're having a great day. Today, I'm going to take some time again because I, I realize everyone's coming down off of the Christmas holidays and getting ready for New Year's Eve and all those things. I've got a lot of your questions stacking up in the queue, and today we're going to tackle a few more of them. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, I'm going to jump right into your questions today. I want to say thank you to those of you who are leaving reviews for the podcast over at iTunes. We read those, and I want to say thank you for doing that. Your reviews are helping this podcast stay in the top 1% of our category at places like Spotify and over on Apple. And so thank you for doing that. If you would like to support this podcast financially, especially as we're coming uh, into the new year, we would love to bring you on as a partner here at the show, and you can help us bring a dose of hope and healing to those who are listening across the country. All right, there are lots of great questions coming in. The first one is from an anonymous listener in Ohio, and she wants to know my thoughts on tubal ligation reversal surgery. She says, hi, Heidi, I absolutely love your show and how you filter everything through the lens of scripture. What are your thoughts on tubal reversal surgery? I'm 38 with four precious kids, but I can't help but feel like I made a huge mistake in getting my tubes tied. I'd love to get the surgery, but it's expensive and obviously not a guarantee, especially with my advanced age. Part of me feels like I'm being ungrateful and shouldn't want another baby since I'm already so blessed and on the older side. What are your thoughts? All right. So first of all, uh, I think it's important. I mean, we were just talking about filtering things through the lens of scripture. So I always think it's important to start by saying that God has a heart for children. God loves children and we want to love what God loves. And so if you have a heart to have more children, uh, I wouldn't beat yourself up about it. There's a whole lot of people in the world who don't value children, who don't love children, who are pushing all kinds of radical ideologies on children, uh, pushing abortion. We're pushing euthanasia in our culture. We live in a culture that does not value life. And so if you value life, and it sounds like you do, you're in line with God's heart. That's the first thing that I want to say. In terms of a, a tubal ligation, and we've had a lot of friends do this over the years, and most of them have had pretty decent success with it. I think it's a, I think it's great. If you and your husband are on the same page and you both decide, hey, you know, we made this decision and then we decided not to. That's why I always tell young people, do not rush out and get a vasectomy just because you got four kids and you feel overwhelmed. Do not rush out and get a vasectomy because you, for whatever reason, or a tubal ligation, especially if you're in your 30s, please, for the love of all things. Uh, because I have talked to a lot of people who wish they had not done that. I very rarely, in fact, I don't even know if I ever have talked to someone who says, you know, in their 40s, boy, I sure wish I would have had that tubal ligation or I sure wish I wouldn't have had that that uh, that other baby. I, I just, I never, I just don't hear that. You know, you could argue that it's the circles that I travel in, but I think that God places a high value on children and on family. And as I've told you before, my husband and I have seven children and we we lost a baby to uh, to miscarriage years ago. And I understand the pain of, of that kind of loss. And also it makes you realize life is very fragile. Life is fragile. We don't know how long we're even gonna have our children. We don't know how long we'll be here. And I say we celebrate life. And so if it's you and your husband and you, you know, you prayerfully decided, hey, we wanna get this uh, tubal ligation reversed. Dude, I, my hat's off to you, more power to you. I I noticed that you called yourself advanced age. First of all, I can't stand that terminology. As soon as you hit like 35 in this country, 
they start calling you advanced maternal age, which I have to laugh because I had my last baby at 41 and I'm 52, almost 53 now. And that little girl, my little 12-year-old sailor is such a light in our lives. I cannot imagine what our lives would be like had I not had a baby in my 40s. And the culture says, oh, you're washed up. Oh, you're, you know, it's this, it's that. It's again, we do not celebrate life in this country. We don't celebrate life in the culture. Forget the United States. We don't celebrate life in Europe. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a disease of humanism, really, that we have decided that uh, animals are frankly more important than people or that the, the planet is more important than people. This is so opposite of what God says in his word. The Bible teaches us that children are a gift from the Lord, that the fruit of the womb is a reward from him. And I don't know about you, but I want the good gifts that God uh, that God gives. And so I, I would stop calling yourself too old. Stop calling yourself advanced maternal age. I think that is just hogwash for a culture that likes to shame women and say, hey, you're washed up at the tender age of 35. <laughs> it's so, I look back now, I, I don't remember which of my babies it was when I first heard that term, you know, I went in for, you know, I'd found out I was pregnant and went in for my first, you know, prenatal checkup and I was excited and, and I, I saw them write advanced maternal age on my chart. I was like, Hey, wait, what, what am I 70 now? You know, here I am, you know, 35 or 36 or whatever it was. And they're like, well, it's just a medical term that we, we, you know, want whoever's taking care of you to understand that you're an older mom. I'm like, older, an older mom at 35. Are you joking me right now? And it's just, I think it's a way, it's kind of a backhanded way of shaming women and keeping them from having babies in their late 30s and early 40s, which I think is a terrible idea. And so uh, I value, my husband and I both do. I hope, by the way, that you enjoyed the interview that we did with our children. My husband and I were listening to that interview, uh, obviously in post-production at our home, and we had to just laugh because the things that, I spent so much time worrying about as a young mother, you know, in my 20s and my 30s and even my 40s, things I felt were, I wonder if this is a waste of time. It always included, should we be reading missionary stories? Should I be doing this so much with my kids? Should I, you know, should I be focusing, you know, more on, uh, you know, making sure that they understand, you know, mathematics and can get into Stanford? But the Lord had really impressed on my heart that my primary job was to give my children a solid foundation whereby they could see the world through the lens of scripture. And as we listened to them and even their ribbing of each other in that interview and they're kind of, I hope you guys, you got a really good uh, window into what it's like at the dinner table at our home whenever I am blessed enough to have all seven of our kids and our grandkids and our our son-in-law, son-in-laws rather, and our daughter-in-law over it's just a hoot and holler in good time. And I'm here to tell you guys, you don't get a second shot at this thing. You have one shot at raising your children. You have one shot at uh, placing a value on what God places a value on. One shot at walking with the Lord. Don't waste it by listening to the world and their ridiculous idea of success. Because God rates success very differently than the world does. And I don't know about you, but I want to side with him. 
All right, Nadia in North Carolina, you guys know I asked you for some good news. Please keep sending me your good news. Uh, As we head into 2023, I would like to hear all the good news that you can send me. If you will send me good news to Mailbox Monday, I will read it on the air. And Nadia in North Carolina, she said, Heidi, I've got good news. The mandate was repealed today for the military. My husband is the only pilot in his squadron that didn't bow to the pressure. And we praise Jesus today for this victory. It has been a very long year and a half for us. We were unsure of what his future would hold, especially with him being so close to retirement. So many families that I know will be impacted by this. Listening to you has been one of my encouragements during this trial. Please keep being bold. I love that, Nadia. Thank you for writing in and telling us. Uh, As I've said before, the truth will bubble to the surface. The question is, how long will it take the truth to get there? So, uh, you know, I, I believe that the Biden administration is corrupt and wicked and even demonic in many respects, but we are seeing that there are good people uh, in positions of authority in this country, particularly judges now who are starting to say, wait a minute, this was wrong. This was a, 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 an abuse of uh, individual autonomy here in the United States, absolutely an abuse of our constitutional rights to mandate an injection like this, an experimental mandate, uh, an experimental vaccine mandate. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I frankly hope that these people are brought to trial And I think we're going to see even more come to light in 2023. So I love that, Nadia. Thank you for sending that good news in to me. All right, Uh, Bobby in Georgia. Hi, Heidi. I have always believed in the Lord my whole life. However, I never truly found the Lord until 2020. I started homeschooling because of COVID. And of course, I started with a Becca, like so many. Now, fast forward a few years, and I'm constantly seeking more and more information about God. I just joined MomStrong International this week. So welcome, Bobby, to MomStrong International. I'm so glad that you're there. Uh, She said, my question is, what version of the Bible is best, and how would I know if the information I find is misleading? So the very best and the easiest uh, easiest to read definition of of this issue is found at gotquestions.org. I've read it before. I'm going to link back to it in the show notes today, so I won't read the whole thing, but I want you to hear what they say at gotquestions.org because I couldn't say it any better than they do. They said, depending on how one distinguishes a different Bible version from a revision of an existing version, there are as many as 50 different English versions of the Bible. The question then arises, is there really a need for so many different English versions of the Bible? The answer, of course, is no. There is no need for 50 different English versions. This is especially true considering that there are hundreds of languages into which the entire Bible has not yet been translated. At the same time, there is nothing wrong with there being multiple versions of the Bible in a language. In fact, multiple versions of the Bible can actually aid in understanding the message of the Bible. There are two primary reasons This is important, so listen up. There are two primary reasons for the different English Bible versions. One, over time, the English language changes and develops, making updates to an English version necessary. This is particularly true if you're studying what the Stanford dictionaries are doing, right? What all these crazy woke dictionaries are doing. It's especially true. We can see how language evolves. And like I've said before, if you change the language, you change the culture. If you hijack the the language, you hijack the culture. And we've seen slang changes and that kind of thing. Now we have an actual attempt to redefine what it means to be a woman, to redefine what it means to be a man. We're watching just absolute insanity happen. And and uh, gotquestions.org is rightly pointing out 
that language does change. What you're seeing happen is not actually changing language right now. It's a straight up hijacking of it, which it drives me absolutely crazy. So if the modern reader were to pick up a 1611 King James version of the Bible, he would find it to be virtually unreadable. Everything from the spelling to syntax to grammar to phraseology is different. Linguists state that the English language has changed more in the past 400 years than the Greek language has changed in the past 2,000 years. Yeah, you're right. Several times in church history, believers have gotten used to a particular version of the Bible and become fiercely loyal to it, resisting any attempts to update or revise it. This occurred with the Septuagint and more recently, the King James Version. Boy, I'll tell you what, you know, and I I know just by me answering this question on the podcast today, there are going to be people that are going to write into me and it's going to be the hardcore, you know, King James only people. And they're going to tell me how I'm wrong and how I'm leading people to hell by saying that, that the King James Version is not the only version of the Bible. But I just, I know for a fact that people who worship the King James Version of the Bible are extremely uh, uh, fierce about it. It's it's crazy. So I think that this is... Uh, misguided and it's also counterproductive and gotquestions.org agrees with me on this point. When the Bible was written, it was written with the common language for the people at the time. When the Bible is translated, it should be translated into how a people or language group speaks at that time, not how it was spoken hundreds of years ago. Two, there are very different translation methodologies for how to best render the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek into English. Some Bible versions translate as literal, so those are the word for word. They do it as literally as possible, and this is commonly known as formal equivalence. Some Bible versions translate less literally, and this is known as dynamic equivalence. All of the different English Bible versions are are at different points of the formal equivalence versus dynamic equivalence spectrum. The New American Standard Bible and the King James Version would be to the far end of the formal equivalence side, while paraphrases such as the Living Bible and the Message, which I do not recommend for a variety of reasons, would be to the far end of the dynamic equivalence side. The advantage of formal equivalence is that it minimizes the translator inserting his or her own interpretations into the passages. The disadvantage of formal equivalence is that it often produces a translation so woodenly literal that it is not easily readable or understandable. The advantage of dynamic equivalence is that it usually produces a more understandable Bible, but the problem is it injects the the subjective thoughts of the person who is writing it. So in other words, what they think it means instead of just what it says and writing it out that way. That's why uh, at MomStrong International, we almost always will use the ESV. I kind of vacillate back and forth between the ESV and uh, and the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Both of those, I think, would... Uh, lean more toward the formal equivalence that gotquestions.org is talking about. Uh, The best Bible version is likely produced through a balance of the two methodologies. So then they list the most common English versions of the Bible and say, in choosing which Bible version you are going to use or to study, do your research, discuss with Christians you respect, read the Bibles for yourself, and ultimately ask God for wisdom regarding which Bible version he decides, he desires rather for you to use. So they list the King James Version, the NIV, uh, the New International, obviously, the New American Standard, the New King James. The New King James Version, I think, is a very good version. It's very trustworthy. That's the version that I used when I wrote my study 
on the book of Revelation. That study is called People Get Ready. You can find it at idstjohn.com. Just click on the store. That's a three-month study that takes you through the book of Revelation. The reason that I like the New King, the New King James Version and the ESV and the New American Standard is because they lean more toward a word-for-word uh, translation of the Bible and less toward uh, let's give you, you know, let's inject emotion into it or inject, here's what I think it says. They just stick to, this is what the Bible says. This is the translation in today's language. And so uh, it's a wonderful question that you are asking me. And so I appreciate that. And I hope that you guys are enjoying Mom Strong International. So if you're not a member there, this is a great time to join. We release a brand new study every single month at Mom Strong International, and we're studying through the Bible. We're studying, sometimes we'll focus on a book of the Bible. Sometimes we'll focus on a passage of the Bible. Sometimes we focus on a topic. So for example, we have studied five traits of false teachers. We have studied what it means to understand being made in the image of God. Obviously, for the month of December, we worked through the topic of peace. What does it mean? to have peace with God versus uh, the peace of God. Those are two different things. And so we dug into the Bible to see what does the Bible say. And we would love to have you join us. It's a membership uh, Bible study service. It's a wonderful way for you to support this podcast and the ministry that uh, God has given me. It's roughly, I think, $12 a month. And I think you guys are going to find that it's $12 a month well spent. So check that out at momstronginternational.com. All right, last question today comes from Samantha in Colorado. She said, hi, Heidi. Hi, Samantha. I am a stay-at-home mom and we have four boys, ages eight, four, and one, eight, four, and one-year-old twins, and we are expecting a fifth in the late summer. Am I absolutely crazy to think about homeschooling my eight and four-year-olds with three babies at home? I know it won't be easy, but although we love our private school, it's expensive and my husband's income is directly affected by the economy and it's been hard to make ends meet. All right, Samantha. So coming from uh, a woman who homeschooled a lot of kids at one time, I will tell you right now that the busiest years of homeschooling were my favorite and you can do this. You can absolutely do it. The key to being successful in homeschooling is to having a plan. So you, you, you know what you're up against, right? And recognize that your days are not always going to be perfect. Your kids do not need a perfect mom. They do not need a perfect education. They need a mom who surrendered to the Lord who understands the value of teaching her children how to walk with God. And you're talking about kids that are only eight and four. And so these are very young children. Your four-year-old needs very little schooling. Your eight-year-old doesn't need very much. It should maybe take you an hour and a half each day with that eight-year-old. Maybe you sit the eight-year-old and the four-year-old down together and you just do some basic things. But I would say don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. The most important thing that you're doing right now is establishing what your family believes and you are building a trajectory. You're creating a trajectory for your family that your children can follow for the rest of their lives. And so, yes, you can absolutely homeschool your kids. And not only can you homeschool all those sweet babies, you are going to look back on this season of your life with a fondness. You're going to have seen the Lord work in miraculous ways. God's going to show you who he is. He's going to show up in ways that you can't possibly imagine. Right now, homeschooling, like marriage, is sanctifying. And God wants to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus, as you walk with him in the education of your children. And so I'm actually excited for you as you're embarking on this journey. I promise you, you're going to have stories to tell your grandchildren, and they're going to tell their children about the time that you raised a house full of little ones, and God met you right where you are. I wrote a book 
about uh, about this topic. It's called The Busy Homeschool Mom's Guide to Daylight. You can find it uh, anywhere the books are sold, and you can absolutely find it uh, by going to HeidiStJohn.com. That is called, again, The Busy Homeschool Mom's Guide to Daylight, How to Fit Your Size 16 Day into a size 10. There's a lot of tips in there on just how to get dinner on the table and, and you know, homeschooling a, ha- a houseful, all those things. Uh, that's where I came from. I'm telling you what, you guys, best thing I ever did. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. All right, that's all I have time for today. Thank you so much for listening. You guys love your people today. Love your families well. Make a beautiful dinner at home if you've got time. If you don't have time, maybe it's movie night with your kids or game night or your pops and popcorn or you're sitting by the fire with your husband. Uh, Maybe there's a little romance happening in your home tonight. Uh, Whatever it is that God has given you to take care of this, this season of your life, nurture that. Nurture that first. Love your families well. And I will see you back here tomorrow with a guest at the intersection of faith and culture.